Welcome to Where Do You Exist, a storytelling podcast in collaboration with HBO and their new television series, Here and Now. I'm your host, Chris Garcia. Here and Now, from Oscar and Emmy Award winner Alan Ball, stars Tim Robbins and Holly Hunter and can be watched only on HBO. The new series is a provocative and darkly comic meditation on the disparate forces polarizing present-day American culture as experienced by the members of a progressive multi-ethnic family and a contemporary Muslim family headed by a psychiatrist who is treating one of their children. And what you're listening to right now is the third episode of Where Do You Exist, a six-part podcast miniseries recorded in front of live audiences in Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, and New York City. Leaning into the themes of Here and Now, a diverse collection of local trendsetters share their most intimate true tales of family, identity, love, belonging, and finding one's way in the world. Today, you'll hear three stories from Los Angeles. Enjoy. Our next storyteller is a Korean-American actress, writer, and filmmaker who directed and starred in the award-winning documentary called Twinsters. She's also the co-founder of the Kindred Foundation for Adoption, a nonprofit organization that provides international and domestic support to adoptees and their families. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to Samantha Futterman. Hey, I am a very proud Korean-American adoptee. And in 2013, I had a life-changing moment that was triggered by a Facebook message. So I was getting ready for the premiere of a movie called 21 and Over that I had a very, very, very small role in, but I was pretty excited because I was lucky enough to be invited to the event. So the whole morning I was getting ready. I was over at a friend's house and she was doing my nails. And I'm scrolling through my phone, Instagram, Facebook, trying to figure out, you know, what was going on for the day. And a message pops up on Facebook. And the sender is me. It's a photo of me and a name that I don't know. We don't have any mutual friends or anything. And I thought, wow, that's pretty funny. Um, So I opened the message and this is what it says. Hey, my name is Anaïs. I am French and live in London. About two months ago, my friend was watching one of your videos with Kev Jumba on YouTube, and he saw you and thought that you looked really similar. Like, very, really similar. We were making jokes about it, etc. I'm always being violent with people and hitting them, too. That's in reference to, in the video, I punched my friend in the dick. Um, <laughs> and then it says, today... He saw the trailer of 21 and Over and told me he saw you again. I then checked your name on the cast, stalked you a bit, and found out you were born the 19th of November, 1987. I checked more of your videos and then came upon the How It Feels to Be Adopted and discovered you were adopted too. So I don't want to be too Lindsay Lohan, well, but how to put it, I was wondering where were you born? I was born on the 19th of November, 1987 in Pusan, but my papers were made at the Holt Children's Institute. So officially I was born in Seoul. My Korean name is Kim Unwa. I arrived in France the 5th of March, 1988, so three months later. You can check my Facebook if you want to check the pictures and the videos. It's more obvious on the videos. Let me know, dot, dot, dot. Don't freak out, dot, dot, dot. Lots of love, Anais. 
So it turns out we are identical twins. We were born in South Korea, separated at birth through different adoption agencies and different foster homes for a few months. She was adopted to a family in France, her two biological parents. She was raised as an only child. And I was adopted to New Jersey to two parents and two brothers who are my parents' biological children. Now, I'll let you think about who got the shorter end of the stick here. She was raised in Paris and I was raised in New Jersey. <laughs> but <laughs> um, after that message on Facebook, we had a Skype session and we had our first video chat and it was so eerie you know as you're waiting for that moment to come and before the picture pops up and it pops up and it's you but she's French and has a weird accent and then she I giggle and she giggles back and it's like an echo it was crazy we talked for three hours until one of us had to pee and then I guess we decided it was time to give it up and, and go to bed and then we talked every single day on Facebook, WhatsApp, literally any messaging services that we possibly could. And three months later, we were finally able to meet in person. And now all this anticipation, we felt like we really knew each other by that point, but it's what is this moment gonna be when she walks through the door? Are we gonna run into each other's arms in slow motion with the symphony crying about all these years that we never spent together? But it wasn't at all like that. It was very awkward <laughs> and we were standing looking at each other, giggling at an awkwardly safe distance. <laughs> that was our first contact. And it's been about five years since we discovered each other, and we are still in connection every single day. We talk every single day. She knows that I'm here. She knows what we're doing. She knows the show that we're promoting. And we are unbelievably connected. I mean, we are identical twins, so we were split from the same embryo. We have the same exact DNA. If she needed a lung, I could give her my lung, and her body would not reject it at all. And this is serious because she's French and she smokes cigarettes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we are so unbelievably connected, and I'm a millennial. I'm glued to my phone, and lucky enough for me that I get to talk to her every single day. And it's, you know, not just us that's connected. Our parents are also connected, our entire family. That's now our entire family. It's not traditional anymore. I mean, I don't have a traditional family. I have so many different types of parents. I have my adoptive mother and my adoptive father, who I say adoptive just for reference, but they are just my mother and my father, the only ones I've ever known. I have my brothers. I have my identical twin sister, my identical twin sister's mother, and my identical twin sister's father. I have a foster mother whom I was lucky enough to meet, and I have my sister's foster parents who we were lucky enough to meet, and we also have our birth parents who we have yet to meet. But we know that one day when we have that opportunity that there is absolutely enough space in our lives and in our hearts to accept them fully into our family. And as an adoptee, it's really easy to say, or to feel, I guess, that one was abandoned and alone. And, and this resonates especially for my sister. Um, she was an only child. Her parents couldn't give birth. So they decided to adopt, which is a really beautiful thing. But for my sister, she felt like, oh, well, I was kind of the backup plan. And our parents, our biological parents, decided to give us up for adoption. So for her, adoption wasn't always a positive thing, but then we discovered each other, and now she knows that she will never be alone. My brother Matt got married in October, 
My brother Andrew's getting married in June. Anais is getting married in September. And this entire year is going to be spent celebrating our family, continuing to expand. People say, oh, well, Sam, aren't you sad that like, you didn't have those 25 years together? You could have grown up together and played together. And of course, I would love, love, love to have spent so many more years with my sister, but I have three quarters left of my life to live. I have three quarters left of my life to spend with my sister. And I'm going to be an old, identical twin, tiny little Asian granny with <laughs> my sister. And we're going to tell all our grandkids at a family reunion this cool story about how we met. And they probably won't think we're cool. They're going to be like, yeah, grandma, Facebook, great, as they like ride their drone to high school or whatever it is. <laughs> but <laughs> we could have gone our entire lives without knowing the other existed. And it's that. It's this constant reminder in my life that at any given moment, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Thank you. Um, our next storyteller is originally from Miami. She moved to Los Angeles where she was chosen by ABC uh, as part of their yearly showcase called Who's Up Next in Hollywood. She uh, currently produces digital content for BuzzFeed's Pero Like. Everyone please welcome Julissa Calderon. Julissa Calderon. Oh, I've seen that. Yes, you heard it right. Julissa Calderon. And yes, you just heard me speak with an accent. At first glance, you might have not thought that's what would come out of my mouth, but this is really how I talk. It's no gimmick. Usually, the next question I get asked after I say my name is, Where are you from? To which I reply, Miami. And then I receive a, But where are you from? from? And I know what people mean by that, but I like for people to squirm a little bit uh, and ask the right questions. What is your ethnicity? But I never get that. Instead, I get, what is your nationality? Which then won't answer the question that they have in mind, which is, why does a girl who looks like me, black, have a Latina accent and speak Spanish? Hmm. And the truth is, if anyone would have asked me this question as a 15-year-old girl, I would have looked at them just as crazy as they were looking at me. But as a grown woman, I'll tell you, my nationality is black, but my ethnicity is Hispanic. It took me a long time to learn this. Growing up, I didn't think I was black, and that had a lot to do with my family. You see, unfortunately, I come from a generation of family members who wanted to only claim Spain as their background and never even touch the surface of their African heritage, even though their skin had beautiful melanin in it and their hair was kinky, coarse, and curly. I was taught growing up to mejorar la raza, which translates into better the race. And this was in regards to dating, and it was taught to me as soon as I grew boobs and a butt and was looking at boys. And it was to tell me, don't date a black boy. But my brothers are black. <laughs> but my father's black. But my cu You get it, you get it. I have one aunt in particular who is very dark, full of melanin. And she would always tell my mom, as I was a child, to rub my nose vertically so that it wouldn't be flat. This is a true story. And it's ridiculous, I know. 
I grew up never knowing I was black, and the neighborhood I lived in and the people I hung out with also contributed to that. In Miami, Latinos hung out with the Latinos, and the black people hung out with the black people. If you spoke Spanish, no matter what you looked like, you were Latino, and the black people singled you out. I never really questioned it because it was all I knew. That was up until I went to college and got slapped in the face with reality. In college was the first time when I would speak Spanish that people would look at me like I was the oddest creature. Like, bitch, <laughs> what are you? And with all my attitude, I look back at them like they were the problem. I'd get asked, what are you mixed with on an everyday basis? And I'd get frustrated and reply, I'm not mixed. Sorry, <laughs> flashbacks. <sighs> they stayed looking just as confused as me. You see, it wasn't until college that I tried to understand why these people didn't understand me, that I looked like this and I spoke like this, but I wasn't black. In hindsight, I could have educated so many people and made them light years ahead of what we are just learning now. But my family didn't teach me, so how could I pass on that knowledge? Fast forward to me moving to LA four years ago. I heard the term Afro-Latina. I had never heard of that on the East Coast. We don't, we don't use that. Actually, somebody asked me that today. They were like, girl, what is an Afro-Latina? You just, you just Dominican. <sighs> so I dove into it, right? I looked it up right away. I was excited. I want to know everything about it because something told me that was me. Afro, short for African. Well, they say I look black. And Latino, well, I claim to be Latina. So the term Afro-Latino is exactly what you hear, as a Latin American person of significant African ancestry. I also got to meet another Afro-Latina when I moved here who would talk about how she was black. She would scream she was black and she would whisper that she was Latina, which was the total opposite of me. But she also had a college professor as a father who taught her about the African diaspora ever since she was a child. And then it all made sense. I'm black. I am black. I'm blackity black. Yes. No wonder my hair was different than the other Latinas in school. No wonder I was darker. No wonder people looked at me odd when I spoke Spanish. Not that they should have. And no wonder in college people thought I was mixed because I very well am. I'm from the Caribbean, Dominican Republic to be exact. And we were all just one boat drop away off from being something different. See, had the captain not got off to pee, I would have been an African-American. As soon as it all clicked and I understood it and got the knowledge, it was time for me to be the rebel in my family and call them out for what they are. Every time my family would say something about me and my black people, I would just look at them and say, you mean us, right? And they would be like, not us, I mean the black, black people. I, I, I can't make this up. I actually just went on a trip last year to Mexico and had a debate with my aunt, and she, saying she wasn't black. Uh, she was Dominican. No, tia, you are. You're Dominican, but you're also black. No, Julissa. Yo soy Dominicana. I am not black. All right, girl. <laughs> my aunt told me that, which means her aunt told her that, and her aunt's aunt told her that, and that's the problem. So sad, when the people who raise you and the older generations succumb to the nonsense that the world puts in our heads, you grow up not knowing your true identity. You don't have answers for the people who look at you oddly. You don't even know how to pass the knowledge on because you don't know it. 
But as I stand before you in my late 20s, because a lady never says her age, <laughs> I can tell you I am now a public figure who has extensive online presence and I'm well aware of where I come from. I am now using my platform to teach others and little girls who look like me and hopefully my family to be that. You can very well be Puerto Rican, Mexican, Cuban, Panamanian, Colombian, Venezuelan, Honduran, or a little Dominicana like me and be black as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you. Uh, your next speaker uh, is an award winning culture critic for the Daily Beast. Uh, he's written for the New York Magazine. And also he has his own podcast called Keep It. Everyone, please welcome Ira Madison III, everybody. Hi, everybody. I'm gonna tell a quaint little story about um, my mom going on a diet and um, how that's also my coming out story. I was in high school and my mom got it in her mind that Pepsi was what was making her gain weight. So she said she was going to stop drinking soda. Um, so what she did was tell me that I could still drink it, but I had to keep it hidden away from her in the house. Um, so I did that. Um, but also, she's, you know, she's still sort of drinking Pepsi on the side. I didn't discover that until, um, so I was online, and this was the mid-2000s, so internet porn was not as rampant as it is now. Um, so I got into my mind to buy a DVD. The DVD was a parody of the movie called The Ring. So um, it was called The Hole. <laughs> And if you know a little something about a reality show about million-dollar real estate, um, one of the stars is a former porn star and was in this DVD. Uh, so I see him on TV Weekly. Um, anyway, I buy this DVD, and um, I keep it in my room, obviously. Um, and I go to school one day, and I come home, and... My DVD is sitting on my bed. My mom put it out there and she said, I have something to talk to you about. I found this DVD. And I was like, why were you going through my room? She said, I wasn't trying to spy on you. I was looking for a Pepsi. And I know you keep them in your room. So... She found it, and she was like, you know, is there something you would like to tell me? And here's where I'm in my brain, and I'm like, sure, I could tell my mom everything. But I decided to come up with a lie because I wasn't ready for that conversation quite yet, even though it was clear she already knew. Um, I convinced my mom that I got it so I could plant it in someone's locker at school. <laughs> she believed this because at this point in high school, I had rigged a high school election twice. 
The first one was a homecoming um, court. I was nominated, and I really wanted to win, so I stuffed the ballot box. <laughs> Did not stuff it enough. <laughs> I lost by a considerable margin. Um, the second one was a high school government election. I did stuff that one enough to win. It was discovered. And <laughs> my win was revoked. Um, and I had also pretended to get mugged to get out of a theology exam. I had a theology exam at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, Monday morning. I did not study for it. I was like, how do I get out of this? It's too early in the morning for me to study. I just didn't go to class. Went to the guidance counselor and said, wow, someone mugged me on the way to school. So I had to take guidance counselor classes for a few weeks after that to, you know, be safe. Um, anyway, my mom believed this for a bit, but she said, I'm gonna have to return this what did you buy it with? And I said, I bought it with your credit card. <laughs> um, I was not, oh my God, one moment. I need a napkin. I feel like Luther Vandross up here. <laughs> I guess here and now is appropriate. <laughs> So she had to return it. Um, I thought it was, technically it masked the DVD. Uh, it didn't say what it was. If you're a person who you know, uses internet porn or buys it, you know, they always conceal it, which I find is very helpful um, when I'm calling Chase about charges on my account. Um, so she said she was going to return it, and then she said, Where's the Pepsi? Because there wasn't any in your room. Um, so I went to the store to buy her some Pepsi. And um, I came back, and the DVD is sitting on my bed again. And she said, so I can't return it, because you opened it already. <laughs> she had been on the phone with the porn company. Um, <laughs> She said I could have it if I wanted it. And I guess the moment that I came out to her was when I said, I guess. <laughs> um, we have a history of DVDs causing drama in our family. Um, over Christmas, I brought this film, The Shape of Water, home to watch with her and my 10-year-old niece. And did not know that someone was gonna fuck a fish in that movie. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm gonna keep DVDs out of my house from now on. That's it. Where Do You Exist is produced by Little Everywhere in collaboration with HBO's Here and Now. Produced by Alan Ball, Peter McDesey, and David Noller. I'm your host, Chris Garcia. Come back next week for more. <laughs>